Humidity 88%. Please be aware the thunderstorm warning remains effective until 10.30 today. That's all the news from RTHK. Good morning and welcome to Bat Chat on Friday, 16th of June with me, Andrew Work and Carha. We're here to discuss a topic that's been on the minds of many people lately, artificial intelligence and its impact on the workforce. As technology continues to advance at an unprecedented pace, many are concerned that machines and algorithms will replace human workers, leading to a significant loss of jobs. And that, back chatters, is what an AI-generated intro script sound like. We now return you to your regular organic programming. Published on Wednesday, the 2023 Hong Kong Salary Guide revealed that AI-based technology would affect 800,000 employees, which amount to around 25% of the territory's workforce. While customer service and admin jobs are expected to be the most impacted, white-collar professionals such as lawyers aren't to be spared either, according to research led by IT recruitment agency VentureNix. In 2019, courts in the Chinese city of Hangzhou introduced Xiaoqi 3.0, or Little Wisdom, an AI able to resolve small claims hearings in 30 minutes, while similar initiatives are being explored in the United Arab Emirates. After 9.45, we'll get a luxury real estate agent's take on Hong Kong's falling second in super luxury home deal rankings. Clearly, I have not been doing my part. <laughs> Let us know what you think. You can leave a message here on our Facebook page. You can email us at backchat at rthk.hk or give us a call on 233-88266. And uh, today on the show, we've got on the line Ryan Whalen, who's the Associate Professor, Faculty of Law at the University of Hong Kong. Good morning, Professor. Good morning. And we have here in Broadcast House, Dickie Yuan just rocked up. He is the founder and managing consultant with VentureNext. Say hello, Dickie. Hi, hello. How hey, are you? Good morning. Great to have you guys on. Uh, first up, I want to get some some things. Uh, professor, is it Professor Whalen or or Whelan? How do you pronounce your 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 name? I want to get it right. Sure, thanks. I say Whalen. Whalen, fantastic. You're not from yeah. no, you're not from Nova Scotia, are you? Uh, I, in fact, I am from Nova Scotia. Oh, we like that. We like having it. We like having a blue nose on uh, on the show. <laughs> Great. So, um, so Professor uh, Professor Whalen, we'll we'll get started with you. Um, AI and its impact on jobs. I know you're you're at the Faculty of Law. Are, is it already creeping into the legal profession? Are you seeing people using this in the in the legal profession, and are they admitting to it? So, uh, yes, we are seeing people use it in the legal profession, uh, and the question of admission is a slightly complex one. I think most uh, attorneys who are using this for sensitive matters now would not admit to doing so because there's legal ethical concerns about whether or not that's appropriate. But we have seen already some uh, already almost infamous cases of lawyers, for instance, drafting uh, briefs, legal submissions to courts using the assistance of something like ChatGPT. And uh, that eventually coming back to, to harm them because ChatGPT, as I'm sure you and many of your listeners are aware, has a tendency to kind of make things up. Uh, and so... Uh, we have already seen uh, disputes arising because of the misuse of chat CPT, uh, in the legal profession. I mean, you know, I sit on the board of an organization. We hold a we hold a, a scholarship in kind of internship program. We send people abroad. We ask them to write essays. And I mean, I, I got the essays and I looked at it. And I was like, bam, I know I know exactly this was written by ChatGPT. When I asked him, he's like, 
<laughs> yes. But I mean, are lawyers, so when you say lawyers are getting caught out, I mean, are they getting caught out because they use it and then they did not check up on it later? Is that where they get into trouble with, if there's hallucinations in the writing or? Mm-hmm. or the, is yes, it, so yeah. the, most in, the most infamous case so far is uh, a lawyer who used it to, to submit a brief in a personal injury dispute. And ChatGPT, so as you, you may be aware, when you submit a legal brief, you have to cite to, to precedent or authority in the common law system. So you have to say, you know, in case Smith versus the Crown, this happened and the court held this way. And ChatGPT hallucinated, as you say, uh, and just made up a bunch of uh, citations to cases that just didn't exist. <laughs> and so that, that obviously was a problem when uh, the opposing counsel read the, the brief that was submitted and tried to find the president that had been cited by the opposing attorney, uh, only to, to not be able to find it because it, it in fact did not exist. So, yes, the, the mistake here was was the attorney's mistake by sort of not checking the submission. Uh, but at the same time, it, it, it does speak to uh, the limitations of the current technology. Was this was this like some some like twenty five year old uh, straight out of law school got stuck with public defending duty, or was this somebody with a, a reputable law firm? You know, where you wouldn't have expected so, something like this. Uh, I, I won't uh, weigh in on the the reputation of the law firm involved, but it was a senior attorney who um, had a significant amount of experience, but probably had absolutely no idea about how ChatGPT actually works, that it's essentially a very sophisticated, autocomplete text generation machine, uh, and thought that it could be relied on to actually, you know, engage in some reasoning and to understand what he was asking, which in fact is not what ChatGPT is, is engineered to do. Right. Um, we're also joined on the line by uh, Emil Chan, who's the chairman of the Association of Cloud and Mobile Computing Professionals, adjunct professor at the City University of Hong Kong. Uh, good morning, Emil. Good morning. Emil, um, I know you can comment on kind of the, te- the, the how the technology actually works. And I mean, it, it is it is uh, kind of looking to the past in a way, is it not? Because it, it's, it's based on patterns of things that it has already seen. In- well, it, it is just a software engine or a robot. Uh, that, uh, you know, that mimic our learning practice. So it's like uh, you got an uh, intern and uh, you got to train them uh, the way, uh, give them some document to read on so that uh, ask for their opinion and then over time, then they might be uh, more knowledgeable. So, uh, but uh, it is a robot that they can access to all documents available online. Uh, so the, with the size of uh, information and with uh, the uh, different types of information, the variety of information, you know, to some, to a certain extent, you know, this robot can be uh, more knowledgeable uh, than uh, a uh, human being. Mm-hmm. So in such a case, uh, it consists of two engines. One engine uh, is to understand uh, uh, what to talk about. And uh, and they can mimic human being to express uh, the uh, the meaning uh, of what they uh, found out. So this is one part of the uh, chat GPT. The other one is uh, it is a knowledge uh, or it is a, an uh, engine to understand the meaning of the content. Mm. So that if you fit in uh, a lot of uh, say. Uh, uh, the uh, academia uh, paper mm-hmm. showed uh, as what we described. <laughs> it can mimic uh, a student to write uh, a very nice-looking paper uh, for for their professor. Mm-hmm. So this is 
two parts. So speaking of like, uh, for example, AI-based technology will replace some um, um, like academic academic works or like helping students to do their like better work or worse work but actually do you think like AI-based technology will replace like a lot of different workers in the future? Well, uh, I think it's two parts. To me, uh, it's a limitation of the existing uh, assessment program uh, on the academic side. So mm. that's why some uh, university, they are, they are afraid that uh, if all the students are using ChatGPT, it's unfair to the others. So yes. we got to change the way we assess the capability or the competence of the students. So to the working side, the issue is that there are too many types of works. They are still, you know, hiring the human being as a robot to ask them to do repetitive type of work like key punch operator. So we still send in faxes uh, in and out and asking uh, our staff to key in, you know, what uh, has been printed uh, mm. on the document. So we do not uh, actually require this type of uh, key punch operations. So uh, ChatGPT uh, is a technology to speed up this uh, transition. So uh, for sure, you know, it will replace a lot of jobs. But uh, mm. on the other hand, uh, it will create uh, another kind of jobs uh, in the long run. Thank you. So what do you think about about uh, the AI-based technology that will place a lot of different kind of work in the future, Dickie? Um, yes, I, I do believe this. You yeah, know. yeah. D- Dickie, Dickie. Your, your, uh, your, your survey that you've done and your report that just came out kind of sparked this whole conversation today. Who's, who's going to take the hit? Um, like uh, I think, like em- what Emil said, uh, there uh, there are certain positions that require a lot of repetitive work, that would definitely mm. take the hit, and uh, not just that there are a number of positions that will take the hit, but then there is also another significant part of the position that they require skill changes. Uh-huh. Say, for example, uh, insurance agency, you know, insurance agents. You can imagine that there are a large part of the the their responsibility is ex- explaining the policy. But then, like what Emil said, what what in the future AI can do is that you just basically train the model to learn the policy. But you can also uh-huh. learn your competitor's policy. So the answering of the facts of the policy will be handled to the AI part, then the human will basically managing the relationship with the clients. Oh. So this is will what what the uh, the skill changes for another significant part of the positions that will happen in the future. We can see what I can uh, like think about is like for example, I banker broker mm-hmm. they can like all be replaced it in the future because they just need to like listen to the clients and like part of the job is like listen to the client and then make the deal and uh-huh. then it can be like easily replaced by AI uh, technology. I would, I would say if there is any top trader or broker, then, then human is, st- is still the best uh, because <laughs> the relationship uh, take yeah. parts of the investment uh, cons- uh, advisory. But then I also, I, I actually worked in a, a prop trading firm before, like even mm-hmm. 10 years ago, AI is already transforming the, this industry. Mm-hmm. Like when I worked in yeah. that co- uh, company before, the, the trading floor has around had around maybe uh, 30 traders to trade the, uh, all the stocks in Hong Kong and mm-hmm. uh, equity derivatives. But then after we they implement AI successfully, then there are only like three traders on the floor. Ah, uh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, so. Uh, and, do those, and do those traders use artificial intelligence 
as part of their work every day, all day? Uh, they, I, they probably need to understand very well the algo part, you know, yeah. because they, they, they think of the strategy, they, they, they know the limitation of AI, and then they either instruct the developer to do this or they just do it by themselves. Mm -hmm. yeah. is, is, an algorithm, yeah. is, is algorithmic trading really the same as AI? Uh, algorithmic trading is um, they, it basically AI is doing better than human because it's basically all logics, you know, yeah, all algos. Yeah. You know, you you, you mm -hmm. have uh, certain yeah. factors you react like this, then then machine or AI is definitely acting better than human in this case. I mean, I've got a friend of mine. He wrote a book called uh, Chasing the Same Signals. Brian Brown, a few yeah. years ago. And I mean, I think he read it. It's been more than ten years ago, and it was all about algorithmic trading. Exactly, but that's not AI, is it? I mean, it's different. Is yeah. it? I mean, it's a formula. I think it's kind yeah. of AI. It's yeah. setting something. The algo, like algo trading, is following logic. Human can mm. follow a, uh, the algo to do trading, like mm. what we do be, did before. Like a thirty traders, we still do algo trading. Mm. Um, but then, when with AI, they can they can just trade better. And they can improve their strategy better. Keep yeah. improving yeah. every day. Yeah. Yeah. Emil, yeah. Emil, well, you talking in? about this. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, rather than we uh, we are losing thirty traders, but the the, the company has to hire thirty programmers. Yeah. <laughs> replacing the traders. Yeah. Yeah. So exactly. It's not not uh, you know cutting down the uh, the number of jobs that are creating new jobs. Yeah, creating mm. new jobs. The switch in the, uh, the swift in demand. Yeah, and and uh, Ryan Whalen, you know, coming back to the 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 law profession. Um, uh, you know, we're looking at this, you know, and with Richard Florida, uh, the you know, famous professor who in, in kind of invented the concept of the creative class, uh, you know, and he included in that things like lawyers and accountants and investment bankers, because they have to have, you know, not artists and painters, but people who have to be creative in their jobs all the time. I mean, uh, is, are there two levels of law, for example, that are going to, is, is there a lower level that's going to get wiped out by AI, but people that can rise and, and still be creative beyond the capability of AI to do a different kind of law? Is that is that going to happen? Uh, yes, absolutely. I think that's uh, one way to put it. I don't know about lower and higher, but there's certainly more routinized legal work that uh, generative AI will, will help with and will make much more efficient, which will probably require fewer human beings to do that category of work. Uh, but there's a whole other aspect of the practice of law, which as some of the other commenters uh, said, you know, involves humans interacting with one another. It involves creativity. It involves, you know, strategizing, dealing with your clients, building relationships, recognizing legal issues before they arise, or uh, creatively recognizing legal issues in fact patterns that maybe they haven't historically been routinely recognized in. So there's a whole bunch of creative types of legal work that's frankly, the, the more high-value legal work and probably the kind of work that, that many lawyers would prefer to do that is currently not, I think, under threat from, from generative AI. Generative AI will add a lot of efficiencies to their jobs, but I don't think we'll, we'll replace that creative lawyering that we see. Will law schools stop teaching the basics because computers can do it and it's not even worth it for lawyers to <laughs> understand it or know or, or you know bother with it? Uh, that's a very good question. Uh, it's too soon to say, I think, because we don't know exactly how capable technologies will become over the next few years. But my, my gut reaction would be no. You need to understand the fundamentals, right? Like just because we have uh, uh, AI uh, programs that can assess uh, medical imaging and to tell you whether or not there's cancer doesn't mean we don't need to teach medical students how to recognize cancer in an imaging uh, software because it's helpful for them to understand the disease. And the same sort of analogy applies in the law. You have to understand the basics of a contract, even a simple contract that could be generated by AI, 
to understand the, the greater complexities that lie within contract law. So I think we still need to deal with teaching students the fundamentals, yeah. Hmm. I mean, that, that, that example that you give of uh, you, medical scans, because I think that is one area where AI, AI has already outstripped actual human doctors. They have a better record of detecting uh, a better record of detecting medical anomalies in people than doctors do at this point. Um, yes, they're quite good, uh, although I will say that even better than AI is AI and a doctor. So both together outperform either on the road. And right. I think that will be true in a lot of domains. Dickie, what, what other, what other uh, professions have you identified where AI is already, maybe already doing a better job? Um, there are there are actually a lot. Uh, it, it is actually harder to think there is any uh, profession that wouldn't be impacted by AI. But then it's just that whether it is a replacement of jobs or whether it is an assistance of their work. So, for example, like a teachers, right? There are a lot of teachers doing. Uh, they they worked uh, long hours to to prepare exams and then and then check exam things things like that that make them overwhelm uh, their work, right? So so if with AI then. You can you can imagine in the future, you know, uh, they can AI can generate answering questions and they can check the answers, and then teachers can can focus on the relationship with the students and and listen to what they need. So mm. so there are a lot of a lot of basically there I can I can actually think of any occupation that wouldn't be affected. Maybe uh, the only th uh, the, the w w I, we can identify some with less impacted. Maybe mm -hmm. uh, construction sites. Mm. You know, yep. you can have robots, but then but then it's too complicated to, to just use robots to replace humans, right? Mm. So um, so yeah. So this is uh, basically the uh, the idea. So I want to continue the topic about the, the decade. So do you think like uh, we should start to learn how to like write a program or mm -hmm. like coding this kind of like um, yeah, technology this is, now? Exactly. This is uh, exactly what uh, we encourage people to th uh, start thinking about this because um, uh, uh, AI wouldn't completely erase you know, uh, uh, erase some jobs, uh, but then it will change the skill set. Uh, so like imagine, so like I said, if uh, in in the future, if uh, we are uh, for insurance companies, instead of trading purely human uh, insurance agencies, right? Uh, they they will they will think they will try to work with some they will try to train some agencies who can work with AI, so that when they hear some needs from the customers, then they can uh, feedback to the algo or to the to the uh, to the uh, development team, and then saying that oh how can you improve so that you can answer better the clients mm -hmm. instead of training a human to do it, you can train the robots to do it. But then this type of jobs require require the, your understanding of customer service and the algo part you know so so i would say that uh, uh learning coding will help people to transform and then create more value you know mm. yeah so, i echo that i can give you a, an example in the creative industry i i personally is a photographer you know part-time and one of my good friend uh, who is a, a, a commercial photographer so he shoot a very beautiful commercial uh, product uh, photography. And now he's uh, transforming his uh, uh, skill from uh, taking uh, traditional photo uh, photos to AI photo. Mm -hmm. And his uh, opinion is that uh, the client can choose whether it's uh, taking real photo or asking him to generate uh, those uh, product photos. And the time and the result at the moment, you know, using creativity, uh, creative AI is better, you know, mm -hmm. than the uh, of uh, original form. So he's transforming his skill, uh, despite the fact he's a very good, uh, well-recognized photographer. Mm -hmm. And he's uh, also uh, enhancing his skill to do coding, uh, what we call the 
palm uh, engineering. Palm engineering. So yeah. I mm. think uh, it's a good example for everybody like us uh, to learn a little bit about, you know, how to ask uh, the AI engine to help to uh, to assist their work. Mm. Okay, we got a caller on the line, Mike. We also have an email from a Mike. Uh, Mike, is it the same Mike? Same Mike. Okay, great. So so if you're if you're online, then I, I will forego the email because we've got you live, which is even better. Okay. Unless uh, it's an AI I, Mike. I listened, I listened to Elon, uh, Lee, um, Elon Musk um, a couple of weeks ago, and you guys aren't even scratching the surface of what his fear of AI was. And it's not that it's going to enhance. It was that it would take over. And unless it is programmed properly, it would eliminate the human. Yep. I mean, it's, it's, we've, we've heard that from, uh, from other people, other leaders in the field, including the inventor of ChatGPT has also sounded the alarm on this. The yeah. Europeans just passed a law, but I have to admit, I haven't looked too much into the detail of that. Um, Mike, he, yeah. he suggests that we take a pause. Uh, can I, can he I jump in? Am I, am he I on, suggested two here? years. Yeah, Ryan. Uh, yeah, Mike. Why don't yeah. we we'll let Ryan give a chance to respond to you? Yeah, Ryan, sure. pile in. So uh, I would just say, so Sam Altman, as you, as you suggested, also came to Congress and said, you know, we need some some regulation here. Elon Musk has his own uh, generative AI startup. Uh, one, my initial reaction would always be hesitant uh, when listening to the warnings that come from the captains of industry who themselves are developing these projects, these, these products, because they have a vested interest in forcing regulation to uh, work in certain ways. My, my opinion is Sam Altman going to Congress talking about the dangers of AI is a, a clear case of uh, an attempted regulatory capture. They have a product. It's ready for customers. They develop that product without regulation. So at this point, if they're able to force regulation through, then they have a competitive advantage because their competitors will have to deal with the regulatory environment that they did not have to deal with. So well, I'm not I too think... concerned about AI killing everyone and taking over the world. I'm much more concerned about regulatory capture leading to monopolistic tendencies within the market. Well, I yes. think the reason Sam doesn't talk to Elon any longer is because Elon was in a frame of mind that he wanted a nonprofit. He wanted this to be uh, a non-type profit situation, and uh, that was you know Sam stopped talking to him because of that. And mm. so I think that was there was some of that involved too. But I think when when Elon was he's not trying to make any money off of this supposedly, but. He just sees the dangers, and I don't want to, um, you know, don't want to frighten people. But there is. <laughs> well, the, the Europeans were the first out of the block with uh, with legislation. Uh, Ryan, you're you're effective. Did you have a chance to look at the, the actual law that the Europeans have introduced? What, what does it actually do? I, I haven't actually looked at it closely, so I won't I won't weigh in too much on the substance. I think it's it's quite similar to the the framework they have for for data protection. Uh, and privacy, et cetera. You have to uh, algorithmic uh, accountability. Um, uh, it's my opinion that over-regulating this space at this point in time is, is probably uh, not uh, appropriate. I think it's, uh, it probably has more danger to society than, than not regulating. The problem with, with over-regulating emerging technologies 
is the costs are uncertain, right? The costs are opportunity costs. We don't know what we're missing out by regulating way potential development. Uh, and unless there is some some clearly demonstrated uh, risk, which as of yet we don't have, we have these these very, very theoretical hand-wavy risks about AI taking over. So absent some clearly demonstrated risk, I think it's too early to, to, to think about over-regulating the space. Okay. Well, thank you very much, Mike, for joining us on the line today. Always appreciate your calls and your emails, uh, or even a double hit, but today we're going to go with the call. Um, as we are getting close to the half hour and the news, I'm going to say I'm just going to get a quick hit from Jeffrey, who sent us an email. He says, AI is no different than computers being introduced in the workplace years ago. Everyone was screaming secretaries would be redundant. In reality, they got tools to do more. As a programmer, this is Jeffrey's a programmer, uh, I find AI very helpful in producing quality code to build applications. And if one thinks it can replace people, people need to learn how to use this tool, such as prompting to get what you want. Even now, programmers need business analysts to translate business requirements to programmers. This will not change anytime soon. A new form of career is evolving. There's an optimistic outlook from Jeffrey. Uh, I'd like to say thank you to Emil Chan, the chairman of the Association of Cloud and Mobile Computing Professionals, adjunct professor at City University of Hong Kong, uh, who is going to be leaving us at this point. But we are going to continue after a very, very short break for the news uh, with our two other guests. So please stay with us as we get deeper into the topic of AI. You can email, you can call. I am going to give you a quick hit on the weather, mainly cloudy with showers and squally thunderstorms. Showers will be heavy at times, so don't forget your umbrella. Max temperature is going to be about 29 degrees. There will be moderate south to southwesterly, uh, southwesterly winds, and the outlook is going to be more of the same over the weekend and hotter. And that is your weather on Backchat. And now the news with Andrew Shirovsky. Hello, it's Barry O'Rourke. An environmental group says the arrival of three species of butterflies normally found in tropical climates shows that climate change is having an effect on the local ecosystem. Green Power said its latest survey of butterfly species has shown the largest ever variety present in Hong Kong. The, he said that the warmer temperatures also mean that local species are emerging earlier in the year. The SAR government has hit out at the U.S. State Department's latest assessment of Hong Kong and its 2023 human trafficking report, saying human trafficking is not prevalent here and neither is the city a major transit point for syndicates. And people in parts of northwest India and southern Pakistan have been taking shelter after a powerful cyclone hit the area. More than 170,000 people living in the path of cyclone Bipa Joy have been evacuated. And we'll have more news at 10 o'clock. As a business owner, you want to call the shots, especially when pricing your products. But if suppliers take over that decision or even threaten to stop supplies unless you follow their pricing, they are limiting price competition between distributors. Such practices may harm consumers and contravene the competition ordinance. Visit the Competition Commission website for more information. I'm Dr. Eminem. Seniors, the COVID-19 virus still exists in the community. As the elderly are at higher risk, for the sake of your health, don't take it lightly. Scientific data shows that those with stable health can receive COVID-19 vaccines. Families of the elderly should take them to designated general outpatient clinics, elderly health centers, private clinics, or public hospitals as soon as possible to get COVID-19 jabs in time. 
Welcome back to Back Chat. I'm Andrew Work, working the airways with Car Ha. And yay. That, yay! And that was the news with Barry O'Rourke. Definitely. That's what happens when you guess. Um, today we're discussing if AI is going to be a job killer or reversant for a whole range of job categories. Helping us work our way through this today is Dickie Yoon, the founder and managing consultant of VentureNix, and Ryan Whalen, who's an associate professor at the Faculty of Law at the University of Hong Kong. Um, uh, Ryan Whalen, I loved it. Uh, you use one of my favorite terms in, uh, in, in economics, regulatory capture, one of my all-time faves. Um, have we seen other examples of attempts at regulatory capture uh, with people using artificial intelligence, whether it's, uh, you know, I mean, because AI is not really new. It's just this new form is upon us. But have other people used regulatory capture in order to give themselves an advantage? Uh, so I think the answer is probably yes. Uh, but buried in your question is an interesting question about what we consider to be AI, which is something that we discussed earlier. So to, to answer the first part of the question as to whether or not there's other examples of regulatory capture in the space, uh, think about um, tax preparation software, which at one point in time we thought about as artificial intelligence. We now kind of think of as just that's what software does. Uh, in the United States, there's a, a long history of the companies that produce that software uh, using bargaining and, uh, and uh, uh, political machinations to make sure that the American IRS does not make it easier to file taxes because they want to force people to use their software to file their taxes. So there's a, a complex system between two quasi-monopolistic firms there that basically control the market for tax preparation software, and they influence legislation. And that's a, a form of regulatory capture to force people almost to use their version of what we once thought was AI. The second part of the question is like, you know, what, what do we think of as AI? It's something that we talked about earlier, right? You asked whether or not uh, algorithmic trading is artificial intelligence. Mm -hmm. And that's a really interesting question because I think there's a kind of a moving window around what we think of as AI. AI, it seems to be, things that until quite recently required humans, but now we can use software to do it. So it used to be that tax preparation software we thought of as AI, and now that's just what software does. Maybe 10 years ago, when we were talking about algorithmic trading, we'd say that's AI trading, but now we just think of it as kind of like, you know, that's how trading happens now. And it's quite mm. possible that the same might happen with generative artificial intelligence. In five or 10 years, we might just think of this type of software as something that software does. You know, sure. it used to require humans to do it, but now if you need to write a pithy poem for your Mother's Day card, then you just get the software to do that. And so what's the interesting question is, is where that window is going to move in the future? And that I don't know. Hmm. We've got a comment here from David. He says, you will have to give even more information to the AI about your personal self, because if you have two or three people with the same name, the AI needs to know what is talking about the right person. Um, you know, to your point, AI used, you know, fingerprint recognition used to be considered AI. Now it's just huh, like yeah. on your phone and your computer everywhere. Who cares, right? Uh, but I mean, if AI is, how likely is AI to be making, Dicky? how likely is AI to be making mistakes about identity because of a mistake in facial recognition? I know my Google Photos doesn't always get the facial recognition right. Could be <laughs> fingerprints. I mean, how, how much more are we going to have to give up of ourselves to make sure the AI doesn't screw it up? Um, but, uh, I think because AI usually just perform better with more data, right? Mm. So, so if you want it to be accurate, you just put more time on putting more data to train before rolling out. So I would say, um, yeah, uh, people, people will make mistakes too. You know, mm. even human, we recognize the wrong person sometimes. So, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, uh, so we can't blame the AI for that. <laughs> so, so actually, um, do you 
also think about the data security thing. Like this kind of like cyber security will be a big, biggest like concern in the future. Uh, yeah, like it is actually uh, a growing demand. There is actually a growing demand in our space uh, mm -hmm. for data security, data privacy, and cyber security. You know, more transaction is doing online, and then uh, we are relying more and more on uh, machine learning to to process information. So yeah, there are a lot of uh, a lot of companies are investing in this space to make sure that you know th uh, they won't their branding won't be trade off because of using AI. Then in these areas like cyber security, data privacy. Mm -hmm. Yes, and, and how about the you know, looking with a local eye, how much are Hong Kong companies adopting this? Are you getting a sense of uh, companies are on the ball? Are we are we on the front leading edge? Are we behind the curve? Are we you know where is Hong Kong on this? Um, for uh, in Hong Kong, because uh, most tech firms uh, are overseas or in China, right? So so in Hong Kong, a lot of huge companies are either. Uh, conglomerates or some financial services, so so they are definitely slower than some tech firms, you know, mm -hmm. or internet mm -hmm. firms. But then compared to tech, for, uh, compared to uh, uh, typical uh, some traditional businesses overseas, I think Hong Kong is adapting. Uh, I think is uh, following the line or following the. Uh, uh, Basically, following the the pace, so, uh, so so we are not leading, but then we are adopting very quickly. Mm -hmm. I would say. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And how, how about uh, Ryan? How about the Faculty of Law? Like, I mean, are there law schools around the world that have just said, "We're going to go for it"? Because I think a couple of schools—is it Berkeley or maybe MIT—have said, "Students, you want to use generative AI for your essays and all that? Go for it." You know. But or, in Hong Kong, before it's like banned. No. Is it banned? I don't know. Yeah. I don't uh, know. Uh, UST, point, UST, right? uh, some some professor in yeah. UST also allowing students to do it. Oh. I also right. heard uh, a master degree in uh, in CU. Uh, they allow their students. Okay, just open ChatGPT, but then oh, you really? have to write it. Yeah, but you have to write because <laughs> they, they they encourage students to to ask good questions or to ask better oh, prompts, yeah. and then you can't you cannot uh, just copy and paste all the information because you have to write it. So you have to ask mm. good questions and you have to pick the right information. So yeah. this is what they are training the students to do. Yeah, yeah. Um, how about yeah, in Hong Kong? It's an area of, of flux right now. We're between academic years, so I suspect things will will change next year. Uh, this past year, because ChatGPT was sort of released in the middle of the academic year, people kind of scrambled. Uh, and it was kind of left, the, the default was uh, students weren't meant to use it, but uh, faculty were allowed to give permission. And so I teach actually a data science class in the law school. And in my personal experience, allowing the students to use ChatGPT allowed us to, as a class, progress much more quickly because they could ask it questions that they would have otherwise have had to ask me during the class session, which is very hands-on, there's a lot of programming involved. And that meant that there was just kind of like more capacity for answering questions and teaching in the classroom than we had the year before. Uh, and so we learned a lot faster. Now there's obviously big questions about assessment, uh, what it is that we're teaching, what the goals of, of instruction are, and that's, I think, what uh, we're currently dealing with at the university as we try to plan out the policy for next year. But as a teacher, I think, or a teacher's aid, maybe is a better way to put it, chat GPT and other generative AI is, is incredibly helpful. Huh. Okay. The fact that you're teaching a data science class in a faculty of law is fascinating all by itself. That's a topic for another day. Um, so you're using it as an aid in class. But yeah, so, so then to go to this question of assessment, I mean, are we back to handwriting exams or... <laughs> I hope not. Uh, in fact, at HKU Law, some of, some of us still handwrite exams, so it's not back to. It's just keeping it keeping it real with with the handwriting. Uh, but I think there's going to be some changes, right? I, in other classes that I teach, one of my main deliverables is a research essay, 
Um, and I don't want students to just use ChatGPT to generate an essay from scratch. I think there's an appropriate role for ChatGPT to be used to perhaps help them brainstorm and maybe polish some, some writing. That's probably a skill that, that uh, is fine to, to outsource to ChatGPT. Uh, but it's the critical thinking and being able to engage with ideas and knowledge that I traditionally use an essay to teach. And I need to make sure that those lessons uh, remain in the, the post-generative AI world. Uh, and so I, I'm frankly not 100% clear exactly how we're going to do this on a policy level. But in my personal classes, my plan now is to, to make deliverables much smaller initially, to build uh, lessons incrementally so students have to think through every step of the process, uh, which will hopefully make the lessons I'm trying to impart to them a little clearer and make it more difficult for them to outsource a whole project to, to generative AI. Hmm. Is it going to force us to make students be more creative at earlier stages in academia? Because, uh, you know, like I said, uh, so when I said earlier, I said I've got it. You know, I'm looking at these essays from students. And I'm like, I can tell I, as soon as I start reading it, I'm like, this is exactly how ChatGPT writes. Uh, you know, and when I've tried to use it myself, Mester of that afternoon, I found you know to come up with new ideas. I found it just kept recommending things that I specifically, I personally had written that had been published on the internet. Like it wasn't, it wasn't giving me any new ideas. It was like, oh, here's an idea. Uh, yeah, I wrote that. Like, and, like nobody else wrote it. I know specifically I wrote it. Um, I mean, are we just going to have to force students to be more creative to go beyond the bounds of ChatGPT earlier on? Uh, maybe. I don't know that you can force creativity. Uh, but I do think that that's uh, a human capacity that as of yet remains one of our strengths. Right, this idea for creative thinking, and especially when you think about the engineering that underlies generative AI, basically a pattern recognition machine, a huge, incredibly complex and sophisticated pattern recognition machine, but it relies on pre-existing human knowledge. And creativity has the power to produce new human knowledge, things that ChatGPT has never seen before. And that's a very difficult skill to teach. It's a skill that we certainly can't just start teaching at the university level. It needs to be taught at, at earlier stages of education. But it's, it's my expectation that you're quite right, that a focus on fostering those uniquely human skills is going to be important in education as we move forward. Hmm. Uh, Follow-up comment from Jeffrey. We read his email in the first part of the show. He's got a follow-up. He says, remember, AI is not intelligence. It is pattern recognition, such as recognizing and simulating patterns of text based on prompt context recognition. AI, which is the thinking side, is another 10 years away if we solve some thinking patterns. Dickie? 10 years before we get what, what do they call artificial general intelligence? Maybe maybe people might not know that term, artificial general intelligence. Can you explain it? Um, artificial general intelligence. Basically, uh, they, they, they can, it is, it is an idea that uh, the AI will not just, it's not just pattern recognition, but then they started to, because there are a lot of patterns, there are a lot of uh, other information, third party information that you can, cannot control, so that they come up with their own idea. And then they come up with the, what uh, Andrew just said. The, it's not just based on the ideas they found on the internet, but then they just come up with new idea. Mm. And it is why, why uh, what uh, the um, there is what was a comment before that AI could be dangerous because they could come up with a with a, a new idea. 
idea that did not bound by human ethics. Mm. You know, and this is why it, it was the, it is it could be dangerous. But then at this point, especially for commercial commercial usage, uh, it is uh, it, we are not at that point yet because it is still uh, a lot of pattern recognition really. Only. Uh, apparently, we've accidentally built bias into artificial intelligence. Can we build ethics into artificial intelligence? I, Do you I, think we can? I know that they they basically just control what they cannot say. You know, this mm. is how they build ethics. Yeah. You know, they, they control them what they should say and what cannot say. That's uh, basically, if you if you try to ask ChatGPT whether whether AI can replace human, they wouldn't give you a yes answer because it is controlled that you cannot return a yes answer, no matter how you prompt, no matter how you ask. Oh, really? Yeah. Then I yeah. think uh, um, by like developing a better programming or something, and then we need to have a lot of good programmer good. in Hong Kong. Uh, so, do you think like in Hong Kong we have enough? Technology, like kind of like a staff or or a people want to do go in this industry. Uh, definitely, not, we do not have enough software engineers. We do not have enough programmers. We do not have enough people learning AI. And then this is uh, basically one of we do as a business. You know, we have we have we providing opportunities for people to switch in a uh, oh, to the IT zero? field from, from zeros. Oh. We, we have a we have a chef graduated uh, uh, from from like form seven and mm. then mm. All work work as a chef for ten years. And then mm. and then talk about program and switch to AI. Of course, not everyone can do it. We give them a test to test their, you know, you know, attitude test and logical thinking. And then, but then if they pass, then it did, uh, the, the academic re uh, qualification didn't really matter. And this is how mm. we try to provide more uh, opportunities for people to switch from traditional career to learn coding or even switch into IT career. Okay, uh, Ryan, you're, you're teaching data science. Are you teaching the next generation of like tech savvy lawyers? <laughs> um, that's, that's, yeah, that's essentially my hope. My hope is that we're teaching a generation of, of lawyers who can communicate with, with both domains, right? Who have the legal knowledge necessary to, to communicate with lawyers, but also sufficient technological knowledge to communicate with developers and programmers uh, and data analysts, because that's a, that's a, a, a union of skill sets that we lack in legal practice. There's not enough attorneys out there that have training in both fields, and so the goal of, of this program is to help uh, produce more of them for the future. And is it because they're actually going to be using technology or because they're going to be involved in cases that involve IP, that involve IP regarding code? I mean, these, I mean, is, is it because so they can apply the law better or are they actually going to be getting their hands dirty with the tech itself? So I think, I think both are possibilities. Certainly understanding the technology helps you answer substantive legal questions that, that relate to technology. But also, uh, you know, there are more firms that develop technology in-house, that do a lot of data analysis in-house, and they have analysts and programmers in the firm, but a lot of the senior partners, you know, they don't even know how to ask a, a question or, or, or explain what they want to these analysts because they don't really understand anything about data analysis. And so by teaching a legal data science class, we're teaching lawyers who would be able to engage with that emerging element of legal practice, which is developing in-house technology and analytic packages and knowledge management software that helps uh, legal practice be more efficient. Hmm. And how about other other are there other professions, Dickie, that are that are going to see that same uh, that same kind of requirement? They actually understand the, the tech at a deeper level. Uh, yeah, uh, like 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 uh, like we mentioned before, like if you if you have to work with uh, statistics, mm. before that you have to understand a lot about like how the how the math works, how to how to generate answers. But then now you can probably give it to a algo or machine to do it. But then you have to learn how to ask the right question to give you the right answer, right? So you have to understand the algo 
back end how how to give how how does it work, but then they can focus on how to creatively think how where to get that data, what kind of insights I want to get. So so by understand more about the tech, they actually perform the jobs better. So they I, I would say, I would say that understand the, the back end of the tech would help, you know, if different professions to perform better if they if they need to work very closely with AI. Uh, are you finding that more senior managers are catching people out? using ChatGPT in their work because they have a deep understanding of their sector? Like like I said earlier, when I see something that's been written by ChatGPT, like after, after I'd read three or four samples from ChatGPT, I was like, okay, I can. Uh, this is so obvious. I mean, are we seeing that in other professions now where senior managers are gonna be like, get something from a junior employee and they'd be like, all right, this is not, I can tell what the problem is right away, you're using. Yeah, uh, yeah, of course, the, uh, we got caught out, but then uh, people, yeah. uh, the see a smart senior manager, which is, uh, coach their juniors next time you know try to try to make it less like a robot it's just <laughs> like know? a teacher teaching yeah yeah <laughs> like a teacher teaching and then ask them to 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 just provide an even smarter answer than the ai mm. by mm. leveraging ai yeah ryan you're talking about this famous case that actually made it make it to court but are you hearing from senior lawyers in hong kong that like younger lawyers are <laughs> you know turning in work and they're like where guys come on <laughs> caught out. I haven't heard anecdotes about that, but I certainly have heard anecdotes about junior lawyers using ChatGPT to, to help them produce documents uh, because oh. it's, it's quite good at giving you at least a working first draft that you yep. can start from. Yep. Um, and that can really make their, their work much more efficient, which, you know, is an advantage for a young attorney. Yeah. I mean, we opened the show today with a with a full paragraph that was yes, written by. Yes, I wanted was, to mention it as so. well. It wasn't. It wasn't, <laughs> it wasn't bad. No I mean, one knows that. It, it, it lacked. It lacked character. Uh, yeah, know. it lacked character. Yes. So you have to add some characters. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you very much. Uh, we've got a couple of great guests on today. I'm sure we're going to come back to this topic, um, and especially yeah. when we've got like great guests on today, like we had with Dickie Yuan, the founder and managing consultant at uh, VentureNix or VentureNix. 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 Manage founder and managing consultant at VentureNix, and also great contribution today from Ryan Whalen, associate professor, faculty of law, the University of Hong Kong. Thank you both. 95 years of public service broadcasting. Stay tuned with Hong Kong. Happy 95th birthday, RTHK! Thank you for 95 years of public broadcasting service. Keep up the amazing work. I'm Janice Wailan. 95 years of public service broadcasting. 95 Stay tuned with Hong Kong. You're listening to Backchat. Call us on 233-88-266 and have your say. And we're back on Backchat. I'm Andrew Work, and I'm here with the one and only... Carha. All right. (laughs) We just made that up. No no AI planning involved. Um, But we are switching topics off the AI and on to Hong Kong has dropped into number two in the world luxury property rankings. Is this Mm -hmm. a tragedy or um, is this like, you know... Not just first world problems, rich people's problems, or maybe it's nobody's problem. Let's find out with Victoria Allen, founder of Habitat Property. Victoria, welcome to the show. Hi. Thank you for having me. Hey. Great to have you on. So, um, I mean, I wasn't aware there was a ranking of uh, high-end luxury properties and who was on top and who's not. How, How long was Hong Kong on top before we went to this number two position? Uh, well, actually, I'm not sure exactly how long it was on top, but I think Hong Kong has consistently performed as one 
expensive property cities in the world with some of the most expensive properties. So I think uh, and it's probably a bit of a surprise that we've, we've dropped down the list. Mm. So um, what what do you make of like uh, this ranking goal? Like um, Dubai, we know we, we know Dubai is always like on the top tier that like selling the highest price of the uh, housing, the properties, and uh, now it's Hong Kong. Well, I I think that you know Hong Kong has been through you know obviously through COVID it's been through a lot and been quite locked 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 down in a way like well even though we weren't locked down but the borders were closed you know so this has obviously impacted our our ranking and Hong Kong's just coming out of that sort of three years of COVID um, so you know I think while we've taken a bit of a set back in ranking I think that will pick up and obviously over that COVID period you know Dubai. Operated in a totally different way, where they mm. totally opened their doors and gave a lot of incentives for people to move to Dubai in terms of visas for working and business and and stuff. So it really drove the property market in a up in a huge way mm. over that time that we didn't see. So you know, it's not surprising that Dubai is sitting um, ahead of us at the moment in terms of property. Okay, so um, since you are speaking of the reopening of the border, so what do you think the luxury home now in Hong Kong, like the client demography is like? Like for example, the age, nationality, uh, what kind, what kind of people want to buy the, this kind of like luxury houses? Yeah, I mean, I think it's interesting. We just did an analysis of our of our year to date um, buyers because I mean, last year. 22, obviously in Hong Kong was a tough year for the property market. I mean, between Hong Kong being closed, the financial markets coming off late in 22, and not understanding when Hong Kong and China would reopen. But now that we've seen the border open again um, and um, the talent visa scheme on offer, you know, obviously the property market really picked up in the first and second quarter of uh, 23. But maybe not as much as expected. Um, but what we've seen predominantly in terms of buyers is we've seen the majority of buyers, probably close to 50%. We've seen our uh, Hong Kong local Hong Kong Chinese buying for self-use, um, and probably about uh, I think we've got about you know 20 to 30% mainland Chinese buying. But predominantly the mainland Chinese we're seeing buying are already here in Hong Kong and have PR. Um, and then the rest are seeing some expat, long-term expatriates buying for again for self-use. Hmm. Okay. I mean, is that is that normal compared to other markets? I mean, in Dubai, would it be about fifty percent local Dubai people and twenty percent? Well, I don't know. Mm. Or, or is there something well, different I, going on? I think it's probably different in Dubai. I think. Well, you know, to be honest, I think there's a big incentive scheme for. I think Dubai residents get given property. I think, don't they? I think. I think. A large amount, I suspect, in Dubai would be expatriates buying or people coming into into Dubai. I think that's what's really been driving their 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 policy or driving their property prices. Where you know in Hong Kong, you know, as much as even though we have a, a talent uh, visa scheme, we don't have any um, added incentives for them to be able to buy property. You, then you cannot buy property in Hong Kong as a non permanent resident without having. But you know, without paying 30% tax, yeah. so that's a huge disincentive for you know. So that's that's where the markets really differ between Dubai and Hong Kong, is about the the ability for expats or new people into Hong Kong coming in on some sort of talent visa uh, or any type of visa to buy property. You know, going into Dubai, you can, and you know, 
it's very easy to buy property for anyone. And also with less money down, right? So I think in Dubai, as an expat coming in or something new on a work visa or, or investment visa, you might have to put down 20 or 30%. You know, in Hong Kong, one, you can't buy a property without paying 30% down. Even if mm-hmm. you can buy, you're putting having to put 50% down. So the property cooling measures are still in place in Hong Kong, and that is what's keeping the property market back. Yeah. I mean, uh, there was a high-profile case, I think, coming up on almost a year ago when uh, well, people call him CZ. I call him CZ because he's Canadian, but the founder of Binance for years was famous for not buying anything. He was, uh, you know, worth more than two billion U.S. dollars. He never bought a house. He never bought a car. He never he just didn't buy anything. And finally, it was a big news story because he bought something. And the something was a residence in Dubai because Mm -hmm. his advisors came to him and said, listen, somebody is going to try to pin it on you that you are a tax residence. And Dubai has no income tax. So he well, said, I mean, okay, Dubai. Dubai is very attractive, right, in terms of, you know, look, Hong Kong has a very attractive tax environment as well, right? It's, you know, 15 to 16% corporate tax um, and personal tax. So Hong Kong's still a very attractive uh, place from a tax perspective and also from, from a property perspective as well, right? I mean, as long as you've held a, a, a property for three years in Hong Kong, there's no capital gain on Hong Kong property. So again, mm. from a tax perspective post-purchase, it's very attractive compared to most other markets where there's a capital gain. Right. But Dubai is, is even more attractive because the, the ability to enter the market, there's no barrier. Where in Hong Kong, there's large barriers to entry. Hmm. We, we've got about a uh, little bit less than two minutes left here, but I want to know, um, in Hong Kong, what districts are seeing the highest demand? Is it the peak? Is, is the new territories picking up with all the international schools going out there? Well, what's, you know, what's it's hot? interesting because we've been looking at that as well. We're definitely seeing a lot of demand um, for the set for South Side still. We've seen that consistently uh, over the last few years and more so during COVID. But that, that trend has continued. Um, same with the peak. Interestingly, areas like Clearwater Bay, we've actually seen a bit of a, a downturn in the market where I think during COVID there was a huge demand for it as people looked for more affordability to have a garden or more outside space and it was just better value. But I think now that people can go to Bangkok for the weekend or, um, you, know, uh, you know, the Philippines or somewhere, now suddenly the, 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 the demand or the desire to to go out to Clearwater Bay or Saikong and have a garden and whatever is less appealing because they can get that that travel out by still living on the island and, and traveling. They want so to come have, back downtown where the action is. <laughs> that's exactly right. And yeah, that's exactly what's happening. So we've actually seen demand for the Clearwater Bay and Saikong drop a little bit. Huh. I mean, definitely the stalling is attractive out there. So that's still, there's always still be a draw for people to be there. But we're definitely seeing still very, very strong demand for, for the south side, mid-levels and peaks. Oh, so and I'm wondering, we got literally 30 seconds. How about Soho? Because Soho is kind of upgrading. There's, you know, it used to be people paying stupid prices for like fourth-story walk-ups in Soho. But now some of those buildings have gone down. Now it's more shishi. Is that luxury now? Well, I think, look, definitely there's still a huge demand for people to live in Shongwan, Saiyongpong, Soho in areas where they can walk to bars and restaurants and cafes and walk to work. You know, yeah. that sort of inner city, London, New York lifestyle, people love, and there's a, a, there's a premium on rent for that. However, in those areas, there's also been a huge amount of excess supply and extra buildings being built. Yeah. yeah. So actually, the, the increased supply is like stopping rents, and also we don't have a ton of those young people back in Hong Kong at the moment driving that market. Got to so get them back. Yeah. yeah. We expect that to change post-summer. 
All right. Well, that's been a lot of talk about luxury habitats. And we have the right woman, Victoria Allen, the founder of Habitat Property. Thank you so much for joining us on the show today. I'd also like to thank Karha for getting on. That's the first time we've done the show together. I enjoyed it. Also, uh, thanks to producer Raphael Blett. Uh, our sound engineer today was James Lung. And uh, we've got to come make sure you're back for Money Talk on Monday. I think I might be doing that show. So, yeah, it'll be good. I'll put my heart and soul into it. And then, of course, we'll have more back chat on Monday with Danny Giddings and Mike Rouse. But for this week, that is your back chat. <laughs>